Ladies and gentlemen, I come before you to tonight, today, whenever you are listening to this on a somber note. Recently, we lost a towering figure, a person who provided much entertainment, love, snuggles, awe, imagination, attention. Yes, I'm talking about the spider that I just killed in one of my plants. You know, if you leave those spiders in there, those spider mites, they'll invade all of your plants and they'll kill them. Oh, did you think I was talking about Queen Elizabeth? (laughs) I've got some explaining to do. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of Ayana Explains It All, the podcast where I explain what you thought you knew, what you wish you knew, and what I know. Uh, My name is Ayana Fakir, and I am a big mouth, black, Muslim, lady, lawyer, single mama, raised in the hood, living in the suburbs. And I come here every week, almost, (laughs) with news and information, topics, current events, or just whatever is on my mind. I talk about whatever I want to talk about, whatever needs talking about. You know how they say, Ain't nothing that needs straightening but straightening, whatever that is. Um, Whatever that saying is, I probably got it wrong. Just as I'm going to get a lot of things wrong, I don't always get everything right. And if you find during the course of this conversation that I just put my foot in my mouth, please let me know. You can send me an email at at yanaexplainsitall at gmail.com. That's A-Y-A-N-A, explainsitall at gmail.com. I am on 12 streaming platforms, including YouTube. Um, Most of my listenership comes from Apple Podcasts, but I'm also on Spotify, Anchor FM, which is my flagship. I'm on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, and a host of others. And so like, rate, subscribe to my podcast. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you feel. Let me know what you want to hear me talk about. I am open to discussing anything. Or if you want to come on my show, I haven't had any guests yet. This is the 27th episode and I have not had any guests yet, probably because I don't like people. (laughs) I'm kidding. No, I love people, all kinds of people. Okay. Don't let my social media posts confuse you. I love people and babies. I love babies too. I have two of my own. I don't let them listen to this smut though. (laughs) This is not for kids. This is not for kids. I use a lot of F words and S words and G words. I don't know what those are. (laughs) but Sometimes it gets explicit. And I know how people feel about cussing, but I love to cuss. I'm sorry. If that's not your thing, you might want to turn this off or leave it on. Let it play in the background. I need the listenership. (sighs) So as I mentioned in the intro, um, I killed a spider. (laughs) Oh, Queen Elizabeth II passed away on, was it Thursday? Oh, Friday. It was Thursday. She passed away at the ripe, tender, old-ass age of 96. 96. 96. Ah, what a long, long time to be on Earth and just be fucking terrible. Now, listen, there are a lot of people in mourning, 
hell people die every day there are people mourning every fucking day not everyone's gonna think that you were the salt of the earth okay not everyone's gonna be singing your praises not everyone's gonna go oh i miss them so much i wish they would come back some of us are gonna be like bitch good riddance for me and i gotta let you in on a little secret millions of other people Queen Elizabeth II is someone that we are not going to mourn at all. And I tell you what, I am Muslim. And when someone passes away, what we say is, which means from God we come and to God we return. That is not a bestowing of blessings. That is not a bestowing of well wishes. It is a statement of fact. God put us here and he takes us back all the time, every day, every minute of the day, every second of the day. And she was put here by him and he took her back. And I don't have anything nice that I'm about to say about her. Um, I really liked her kitten heels and her handbags. I don't know. (laughs) But as far as I am concerned, she was an oppressor. She was part of an oppressive re- regime. She came from a long line of o- oppressors. I don't care if they were kings, queens, princes, princesses. They were all oppressors. And we do not mourn oppressors. We call them out. Because if we don't call them out, then our children won't know how to recognize them. Our children will think that the behavior they perpetuated is fine because we never said anything otherwise. So we need to call these people out. Queen Elizabeth II needs to be called out. So this is what I'm going to do here. This is a calling out, okay? I'm about to call somebody out. I'm about to call her out right now. This is something that people did while she was alive. I know, I've seen it. I've done the research. But she didn't give a shit. She didn't care. Queen Elizabeth II portrayed herself as apolitical, which means that she was kind of neutral, but she wasn't really neutral. But that's what they wanted us to believe, that the crown, the monarch, the British crown is neutral, and it's a constitutional monarch. They don't have any power. But guess what? Their legacy is that of torture, violence, theft, subjugation, oppression of millions of people around the world. So whether or not they have any power now, when they did have power, real power, they did absolutely awful, terrible, disgusting, reprehensible, vulgar, ugly things with it. And Queen Elizabeth II, when she took the throne, she inherited all of that. And you know what? She could have ended it by abdicating She could have ended it by abolishing the monarchy, but she didn't. She reigned as queen for uh, over 70 years. Was it 70 years? Yeah, 70 years. The, as they say, longest reigning monarch, but that's only the ones they count in Western society because there are monarchs all over this world. Monarchs that they don't even consider because they don't have crown jewels and, and fancy thrones and they don't sit in democracies and they don't have um, airplanes that fly overhead every fucking year wasting taxpayer dollars. So let's get into it. <sighs> I know this isn't new information. But some truly awful people masquerade as loving elderly grandparents. You have toxic family members, and so does the UK royal family. A lot, a lot. Queen Elizabeth II reigned over the kingdom, the United Kingdom, which included present day, it included a bunch of territories and... Gibraltar, um, Northern Ireland, Wales, England, until two until 1997, Hong Kong. I mean, this place, it's big. 
the kingdom was big. And they still um, have their faces. The, the queen had her face on money all over the world. So this isn't a small kingdom that we're talking about. It's not a small empire. It's called an empire. It used to be called the British Empire because it was so big. At its zenith, it was large. And then as it started to wane, like around the 1970s, when all of a lot of the countries were gaining independence, it just became the United Kingdom. But there has not been a ruler of the United Kingdom who wasn't a murdering, pillaging, decimating, plundering, colonizing piece of shit. Yes, that includes Queen Elizabeth II. And we're supposed to excuse her because she was lovely old Liz. There are people on TV, these interviews are crying or they're standing outside of Buckingham Palace and they're waving to the new King Charles III. And they're giving them flowers and they're saying, oh, William, you're so strong. Oh, Kate, you're so strong. Oh, Charles, you're so strong. Oh, my God, I love you guys so much. Really just making total asses of themselves. And hey, I get it. If it's sad for you that she's that she died, fine. I can't take that away from you. I can't stop you from mourning. How would I be able to stop someone from mourning? How would I be able to do that? Lock you in a basement? Uh, inject you with some kind of serum to change your thoughts. <laughs> I can't stop you from mourning. My opinion of her can't stop you from how you feel. It doesn't, it, it, I mean, if it changes how you feel, fine. But that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell you how I feel. I'm here to tell you why I think she was a piece of shit. You don't have to agree. You can feel how you want to feel about it. A lot of people are really sad. People I, um, you know, people I know personally, and I just look at them like, oh, must be nice. It must be nice. And why is it nice? Why is it nice to feel sad that an oppressor is dead? Even in the colonies that were that that have their independence, even in places where the British Empire reigned violently, people are crying and, oh, the Queen Mum, she's dead. And, oh, we may not have liked what she did, but she was still a human. You know who else was a fucking human? Osama bin Laden was human. Hitler was human. Mussolini was human. Richard Nixon was <laughs> human. A lot of really awful people were also humans and also died. Death doesn't make you um, endearing. It doesn't make you lovable. Death is death. You're dead. That's it. That's it. Just because you died, you don't suddenly get to be awarded this special um, treatment. And people will say, well, why now bring this stuff up now when she's dead? Why didn't you? We brought it up when she was alive. She didn't give a fuck. We brought it up when she was alive. There's never a right time for people who don't want to hear uncomfortable truths. There's never a right time to say the things that are tough to hear. And so you say them, you deal with them. This is why you deal with shit so that your legacy, though um, troubling, controversial, at the end, you have a good ending because you dealt with it. You atoned. You paid for it. You did the right thing so that you have a good ending. This bitch didn't have a good ending. She did not atone. She did not apologize. She didn't acknowledge. She was complicit in the crimes that she inherited because she was silent about them. And silence is complicity. So don't come to me with that, oh, but she, she was against this and she was against this. She was a grandmama and she was a, a great grandmama. I don't give a fuck. I can recognize good in people. There was no good in this woman. I don't have to feel sorry for her. 
I don't have to be sad that an oppressor passed away. Every time an oppressor passes away, I'm happy. One less evil piece of shit on earth makes earth a bearable place to be. We have to call these people out. We have to hold them accountable. Imagine us, the people that they're reigning over, holding the lords and the leaders and the congressmen and the, and the governors and the presidents accountable for their behavior and their actions. Imagine. That is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hold these people accountable. Now, you can feel sad all you want to, but at the end of the day, something needed to happen that didn't happen. And I'm going to tell you what it was. She needed to atone for what happened during her reign, for what she inherited, for what her ancestors did, and she did not. She did not have a good ending, in my opinion. And sure, you know, she smiled at babies and she, she looked cool wearing the crowns and the jewels. Those jewels in her crown and her, uh, what do you call that, that staff, they were pilfered from her subjects. They were pilfered from her ancestors' subjects. The uncomfortable truth of Lizzie's life is one that saw subjugation of millions of people and nations with racial and cultural injustices that she never atoned or apologized for. And while much of it began before she got on the throne, she had the power to stop it, all of it, and did nothing until it was pretty obvious that the British no longer had a hold on the people they reigned over, until it was pretty obvious that they were going to lose whatever battle was brewing Whatever battle was brewing that was about to see a tremendous loss of life on their side, I'm telling you the truth. They did not pull out of these nations until it was clear they no longer had the support of the people and they, that they were about to lose in a war big time. That's why they fled India. That's why they left India. I mean, they left India in a hurry. That's how partition happened. And it was bloody and it was violent and Muslims went one way to Pakistan and uh, Hindus went another way, and that became India. They didn't leave until it was clear they could not win there anymore. The people were fighting back. They were tired of being colonized. They were tired of being subjugated. They were tired of the violence committed against them. They were tired of not being able to move, think, and act freely. Yeah, because you, when you lived in one of these colonies, you had to act in accordance with what the British Empire found desirable. So you could be yourself, you could do whatever you wanted to do as long as it was um, consistent with the British Empire's values. This is how the people of Hong Kong were allowed to stay in Hong Kong and didn't have to go back to China as long as they agreed to abide by the rules of the British Empire, they could stay in Hong Kong. It's wild stuff, man. It's wild. You think people who were um, oppressed wouldn't want to fight for freedom if everything was so wonderful, so so um, fairy tale like, so gracious and grand and wonderful? You think they would have stayed, right? No. Because it wasn't gracious and grand and wonderful and great and amazing. And, you know, she would go and visit her colonies every 10 years, every five years. She visited Australia and uh, Sierra Leone and Kenya and Nigeria and Canada and everybody. You know, they would gather around all the locals and, oh, look at this, this uh, native indigenous person. Look at them. And she would, you know, look at look them over and go, oh, how delightful knowing full well what was happening to these people, knowing full well what was happening to these people. And she said nothing because she was staying out of it. I'm staying, I ain't none of my business. Imagine, 
You are the figurehead. You are the actual ruler of this country. But you don't get involved in what goes on there. You don't, you, I mean, you, you've got, you guys have got it under control, right? You, you, you all, you've got to, you've got this under control, right? As long as there's not going to be any loss of life on the British side, they don't care what the fuck you do. But they also want to do what looks good to the rest of the world. So as long as it looks good to the rest of the world, like the one thing that they could no longer sustain that had fallen out of favor big time was apartheid in South Africa. And because other nations were piling on and saying, hey, you, you, you need to get rid of this shit. The Queen of England was like, oh, yes, we probably should. Margaret Thatcher, what are we going to do about this? But it was only because of pressure from the outside. Like, did she have no moral compass? She didn't know that this shit was wrong. She didn't know that what was happening was wrong. All she cared about was preserving the empire. Her goal as her father's goal and and his brother's goal and their grand their father's goal and granddad's and all their goal was imperialism. Imperialism is a policy of extending a country's power and influence through diplomacy or military force. There's colonialism and there's imperialism. Lizzie's goal, as was the goal of the people before her who wore the crown, was imperialism. It was colonialism, too. It was both. It was both. They exerted physical control, political domination, economic domination, formally and informally. That was their goal. And until it was clear that that could no longer happen, at its zenith, Britain controlled over 400 million people in territories and occupations that included India, Burma, Malaya, the Caribbean, parts of Canada, outposts in Latin America, various islands in Oceania, Hong Kong, four territories in West Africa, four in East Africa, including Zanzibar, two Rhodesias, which are now Zambia and Zimbabwe, and Nyasaland, which is now Malawi, high, three high commission territories in South in Southern Africa, the island of Mauritius, and the Dominion of South Africa. All but India remained when Lizzie ascended the throne. But it was India that bolstered Britain. The partitioning of India and Pakistan remains one of the most brutal and bloody fights of independence in recent history. And crown jewels stolen from India and South Africa remained in the Queen's possession until her death. She refused to return them. You can inherit things that do not belong to you. You can inherit things that were stolen. It doesn't mean you get to keep them. The right thing to do is to return it to its original owner. We're talking about the most precious diamonds in the world. Her ancestors stole from South Africa and from India and from Sierra Leone. Her early and sustained wealth is the direct result of her kingdom's involvement in the transatlantic slave trade between 1690 and 1807. An estimated 6 million enslaved Africans were transported from Africa by British and American slave traders. The British royal family and parliament protected the slave trade. The profits of the slave trade were used to fund the buildings, roadways, railways, parks, industries, and treasury. She inherited these crimes, people will say. But that's exactly what I'm here to talk about, the uncomfortable truth. The uncomfortable truth is that while she inherited them, she perpetuated them. She continued them. 
I'm not here to talk about the pageantry or the frills or the fantasy or the fairy tale. We wrongly believe that monarchs are like what we see in Hallmark TV shows and movies. Fun, happy, delightful, loving, merciful, fan fantastical. We want to be a part of it. We want to wear the big ball gowns and go to the parties and dance and marry princes and princesses and and just lay around in our jewels and and have people wait on us hand and foot. But the the truth about the British Empire, the British colonial violence Elizabeth inherited and continued was hers. By continuing to carry that crown, all of that violence, all of that subjugation and oppression was hers. She owned it. She inherited and continued a legacy of a brutal racist empire. And while the great hold Britain had over one third of the world was quickly dissolving, It was not because they easily let it go. Lizzie, the British colonial violence she inherited and continued was hers because she wore the crown. She inherited and continued a legacy of a brutal racist empire. And when she gained the throne, she wielded great privilege and used her privilege to keep human beings relegated to colonized subjects. Some in camps and others in neighborhoods patrolled by armed soldiers, tightly controlled movements, conversion schools, detention camps. People will call this her complicated history, but it is this history that envelops her reign. The people she subjugated do not mourn her. Many of the people she subjugated do not mourn her. And in fact, remember vividly and without any fondness when she took over their countries and denied them freedoms she enjoyed in her home country. The British took control of South Africa in 1806 and apartheid kept blacks, though the majority in the country, racially segregated from the white minority. The apartheid caused great anguish, violence, anger, and loss of life. In 1979, the Commonwealth nations formally condemned apartheid, a policy Lizzie's father loved and supported. In 1986, the leaders of the Commonwealth nations came together to agree on sanctions against the South African government with one holdout. Great Britain under Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher did not want harsh economic sanctions, but the queen, to her credit, believe it or not, as they say, a broken clock is right twice a day. She believed apartheid was um, old, it was done, Let's not try to make that happen anymore. And she didn't want Britain to be on the wrong side of history. Now, while she didn't have any real power to say what should happen, what should happen through her influence, Margaret, Margaret Thatcher knew exactly what the queen wanted and what should happen. If you watch the crown, I haven't watched the crown, but I've read so much about the crown this entire um, conflict plays out in the crown. The queen wanted apartheid over because the rest of the world wanted it over because it was no longer favorable. Didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to have a segregated country, a racially segregated country anymore. And Margaret Thatcher didn't want that. She wanted to keep it. But the queen would ice her out, you know, plant little stories in the press, try to manipulate it so that so that, you know, Great Britain could sign on to this to this accord. And it eventually happened. But I mean, as with anything terrible. She was for it before she was against it. 
when she saw that her country could no longer maintain control in a certain area or that the rest of the world were looking at them like they were a bunch of fucking idiots. They were like, okay, let's pull out. Let the people have their way. And in the years after his release from prison, Nelson Mandela grew quite fond of the queen. Why? Because she was against apartheid. That was it. Gave her special nickname and everything. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, great. She came around. I mean, isn't it wonderful when racists come around to seeing that they shouldn't be racist? Isn't it great when people come around to seeing how terrible they were and they're no longer terrible or how terrible their family was and they're no longer terrible? Oh, I'm not like him. I'm not like my father. But you were for so long. Like you had the you had power, you had influence. Before you were just a constitutional figure, you, you had influence, you had power. You were in command of the British army. You were telling these people what to do. If you had ended apartheid in, I don't know, 1960, it didn't end until the 1990s. With her influence and power, she could have ended it. She came to power in February 1952. Apartheid did not end in South Africa until the, the 1990s. So for years, she was for it before she was against it. She had to be pressured. A lot of pulling out of these um, colonies and, and territories by the kingdom was because they had to be pressured to do so. Like I said before, when it was clear that they were no longer going to be able to main, maintain control, when the rest of the civilized, civilized world was looking at them sideways, they were like, okay, we give up, we give up. We're moving along. And in the case of Hong Kong, look at what's happened to Hong Kong. Now, this is... <sighs> the people of Hong Kong, they love the British Empire. Love, love, love. And why? Because when they were under the British Empire, they had democracy. They had democracy. But it was never the intent of the British Empire to maintain control over Hong Kong. I think it was back in the, what, 1940s or so, they signed an agreement saying, hey, at this certain time, we're pulling out. We're given, we're going to make Hong Kong independent. But it didn't really happen that it became independent. What happened is that Hong Kong was kind of ceded over to China again. China lost Hong Kong during the Opium Wars. And slowly over like the last, I would say, 20 years, China has been taking over Hong Kong. But the people of Hong Kong love the queen because she kept them in a democracy. And they have this agreement to remain, uh, I forgot what it's called, some kind of territory independent of China, even independent of China, but they're not, they're losing it. They're losing it. There are textbooks published in Hong Kong in Hong Kong for school children now that are completely denying that it was ever a British colony. They're they're trying to erase the colonization of Hong Kong by the British Empire. So before you know it, Hong Kong is going to be what China is and that scares the fuck out of these people. Because in Hong Kong, there's dissent. You can protest. You can speak out against the government. In China, you cannot do that. It is a communist nation. China wants Hong Kong to be under its control the way Russia wants Ukraine to be under its control, to follow its rules, to be at the tutelage of its rulers. They want that shit back. And it's all about power. It's all about power. Imperialism. Imperialism. But remember I mentioned uh, Rhodesia. Lizzie opposed the independence of the two Rhodesias. She wanted them to remain colonized. She supported the colonization of Zimbabwe and Zambia. 
she opposed their independence as a republic and only supported the country once it returned to colonial status. So it was two Rhodesias. She wanted to colonize them. They didn't want to be colonized, obviously. We didn't want to be colonized. We didn't want to be ruled by the British. Our founding fathers were religious extremists, and they wanted to practice religion the way they wanted to. And the crown, they had their own religion. They had their, I won't say own religion, but they were head of the church, head of the Protestant church. They didn't want that funny, funky stuff going on. They wanted these people to do as they wanted them to do. And so bing, bang, boom, Revolutionary War. And that was happening all over the world with the British Empire. And these two Rhodesias, once they became Zimbabwe and Zambia and were colonized, the queen was like, okay, you can have our support again. She wanted them to be colonized. She wanted to be the ruler over these nations. And why? Why? Why would anyone want to have control over African nations? Hmm, let's think. Think, 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 think. Resources. 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 Power, control, resources. You're not going to want to hold on to a bag of shit because a bag of shit can't do anything for you. But if it's a bag of gold, if it's a bag of diamonds, if it's a bag of oil, a bag of oil. <laughs> if it's a bag of rich forest land. Oh, you're going to want to hold on to that. You're going to want to hold on to that. To say that she was merely a figurehead is a vulgar lie, frankly. Her legacies in Africa, Asia, North America, Australia, and South America, while she slowly grew to support democracy and human rights in her colonies, she had to be dragged to the future. Her first and greatest goal was imperialism. The atrocities in pre-independence Kenya, for instance, including the death of between 20,000 to 100,000 people in the Mau Mau uprising, in the 1950s happened on her watch. And I say between 20,000 and 100,000 because no one knows exactly how many people were killed. And you know why? I'll tell you why. Listen to this. The Mau Mau uprising, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Mau Mau uprising was an armed rebellion launched by the Kikiyu who had lost land during colonization. The adherents mounted attacks on white settlers and fellow Kikiyu who collaborated with the British administration. Colonial authorities portrayed Mau Mau as a descent into savagery, turning its fighters into the face of international terrorism in the 1950s. The British, declaring a state of emergency in October 1952, proceeded to attack the movement along two tracks. They waged a forest war against 20,000 Mau Mau fighters and with African allies also targeted a bigger civilian enemy, the roughly 1.5 million Kikiyu thought to have proclaimed their allegiance to the Mau Mau campaign for land and freedom. They just wanted their land and freedom. That's all they wanted. They wanted their land back. They wanted freedom. They didn't want to be colonized. The fight that took place in a the fight took place in a system of detention camps. Many documents relating to the detention camps were either absent or still classified as confidential 50 years after the war. A Harvard historian who helped survivors of the Mau Mau uprising sue the British Empire discovered that the British had torched documents before their 1963 withdrawal from Kenya. The scale of the cleansing had been enormous, the historian found. For example, 
three departments had maintained files for each of the reported 80,000 detainees. At a minimum, there should have been 240,000 files in the archives. The historian found a few hundred. And this is because of Operation Legacy. Operation Legacy, which saw from 1950s to the 1970s, the ordering of the destruction of any and all government administrative materials in the colonial administrations that existed prior to them attaining independence that would, listen, that would embarrass the queen or her officers, police, and public servants. Operation Legacy was a British colonial office program to destroy or hide files to prevent them being inherited by its ex-colonies. And for a kingdom and a monarch who, re who insisted they remain apolitical, the destruction of evidence of their inhumanity and insults and inaction suggests they were anything but. In fact, we know the British Empire participated in a system for breaking recalcitrant detainees by isolating them, torturing them, and forcing them to work, according to the historian. This was called the dilution technique. And the British colonial office endorsed it. The um, Harvard historian who helped the Mau Mau survivors sue Britain for torture committed during the uprising noted that the overarching takeaway is that the government itself was involved in a very highly choreographed, systematized process of destroying and removing documents so it could craft the official narrative that sits in the National Archives. And this information was taken from an article at theguardian.com called The Brutal Truth About the British Empire by Mark Perry. And I forgot to mention the name of the historian. I kept calling her the Harvard historian. Her name is Caroline Elkins. And uh, according to the article and from other sources that I read, she stirred up a lot of controversy because she exposed this cover-up that the uh, British Empire had engaged in. But it had a name. It was called Operation Legacy. They didn't want anybody to receive documents or to discover the extent of their brutalization of people in their colonies. So the extent of what they have done, we may never know. But in her research to... Um, I believe she was working on her dissertation and in research to help with this case, which the survivors won, by the way. They, su they successfully sued the British Empire and won like a nominal amount. But um, what she discovered is that the British Empire was just covering up all the shit that they did. And she managed to find uh, just a kernel of information <laughs> that helped these people in their case. Uh, this article is pretty good. You guys should go online and read this. I'm going to put all of the links to all of the sources. I have a lot this time. All of the sources will be in the description of this episode. So you guys can go back and reference them. While she was seemingly tough on apartheid, she was ambivalent about Canada's indigenous population. Instead of using her role as monarch to create effective change on the apartheid against indigenous people, as she was apolitical, she stayed out of what Canada was doing to the indigenous population. Essentially, what they were doing to native populations in Canada is what was happening to native populations in the United States, forcing them off their land, putting them on reservations, putting the, the children in residential schools, killing people, forcing them to uh, assimilate, but then giving them no power. They had no agency. They had no um, 
opportunities. They they didn't receive equal opportunities. They were suffering essentially. And in 1970, the queen and her husband and her two oldest kids went on a visit to Canada and they visited a bunch of different different places, including the past. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Again, I encountered a lot of words on my research for this and I'm like, hmm, I think that should be pronounced the pass. Is it the pass or the pause? I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Please forgive me if I am not. And if you don't like the way I'm pronouncing things, please send me an email and tell me to fuck off. (laughs) I won't be offended. I really won't. I tried, y'all. I tried with a lot of these. So what was Canada doing to their people that old Lizzie ignored? The indigenous people, though living in a prosperous nation, were not benefiting from that prosperity. And while she saw it and she knew about it, she did nothing to help change it. Remember, I said she had great influence and privilege and she was instrumental in getting Britain to sign on to sanctions for apartheid in South Africa. But she did no such a thing in Canada. She didn't reconcile the actions of the kingdom's past with the fate and treatment of the indigenous populations. They were pushed off of their lands and onto reservations. Children were put in schools to learn and establish religion. Starting in the 1880s and for much of the 20th century, more than 150,000 children from hundreds of indigenous communities across Canada were forcibly taken from their parents by the government and sent to what were called residential schools. Funded by the state and run by churches, they were designed to assimilate and Christianize indigenous children by ripping them from their parents, their culture, and their community. The children often referred to as savages and forbidden from speaking their languages or practicing their traditions. Many were physically and sexually abused and thousands of children never made it home. And this information comes from an article at cbc.ca. First Nations Leadership Council calls on King Charles to renounce doctrine of discovery as first act. And this was published on September 10th. And it concerns indigenous communities in British Columbia want new want the new monarch to play a greater part in reconciliation in Canada. And the other source is residential school survivors, indigenous leaders say Queen should apologize next. And that was published on May 16th, 2022. And also Canada's unmarked graves, how residential schools carried out cultural genocide against indigenous children at cbsnews.com. That was a 60 minutes feature article. So she visited Canada in an official capacity over 20 times. And during one visit in 1970, she visited the residential schools. She visited the past, observed the treatment of the indigenous people. And she left without a word for their dismal treatment. They would they were hoping her visit would bring attention to how they were being treated. And people noted it. Yeah, they noted it. They noticed and they left and they didn't do a fucking thing about it. And you know why? There wasn't enough pressure to do anything about it until much, much later. And because a lot of uh, political figures and not just the British Empire and the Protestant Church had a hand in this. Also, the Catholic Church had a hand in these residential schools and the treatment of the indigenous children in these schools. But the difference is that the Catholic Church apologized for their role in these residential schools. They apologized through the Pope and the Queen being apolitical. I just I I, I want I want to. I feel like we should have been able to ask her why she was using her apolitical stance, her neutrality 
to remain silent in the face of these atrocities. These atrocities that she was smack dab in the middle of. These atrocities that she perpetuated. These atrocities that her family committed. That her empire perpetuated and committed and and ushered in. I want to know why they think neutrality shields them from being held accountable for this shit. We can all say that we're apolitical, but when we see something bad happening, when we see that our behavior, our actions is the cause of someone's suffering, we should do something about it. We should not just um, uh, instruct or direct somebody to, to stop what's happening, but actually with our own voices, speak up and speak out. Actually say the words, this bad thing is happening and I'm sorry it's happening. I'm sorry it happened. We apologize. You don't have to get political. There's nothing political about human rights. They're for everyone. There's nothing political about the right to self-determination and independence and freedom. There's nothing political about that. Everyone Everyone is entitled to it. And these people were entitled to enjoy the prosperity of their nation. And they were not given an opportunity to do so. And she knew it was happening. And she did nothing. Even when it was no longer going on. And people were asking her to apologize. People were asking her to explain. She said nothing. Nothing. I guess she figured if she stayed out of everything, she wouldn't have to comment on everything. It's pretty sick. It's pretty sick. I don't I don't know how I mean, she went to sleep every day. So what happened to the indigenous people of Canada? is what happened to the indigenous people of Australia. Again, Lizzie and the great British empire did nothing to help their condition change for the better, but they seemingly all are all, they all loved her and they're all sad that she's gone. I mean, at least that's what they're reporting in the news. I know it's not everybody who feels happy to see her face when she came for the visits, it wasn't everybody who was delighted because the indigenous people, they really suffered. But you know what? A lot of people are much, much, much more gracious and kind and giving than I am. I don't give shit to oppressors. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Those people are evil. Evil. You can shake the hand of your enemy if you want to. I don't do that. You can hug your enemy if you want to. I would never. You can embrace the person who is responsible for your suffering, the author of all your pain, if you want to. That's your business. I don't do that. I call these people out. What happened to the indigenous people of Canada, the indigenous people of Australia, where their legacies were wiped away, where they were relegated to certain pieces and parts of land, even though the entire, the entire territory, in some cases, was theirs. They were pushed off. And they were left with, you know, broken families, mental illness, slight job opportunities, no upward mobility, how anyone could look at Elizabeth and think, wow, what a great lady. What a great lady. But people do. And we, but we know that people identify with their captors. People identify with their kidnappers. People identify with their terrorizers. People identify with them. People internalize oppression, just like people internalize misogyny. People can be brainwashed. People are so broken that the one thing they have to hold on to is an ideal. 
world, an ideal society, where they can fantasize about how they, they're ruled by a queen and a kingdom who sits on the throne and she has jewels and, you know, she wipes her face with dead rabbits. <laughs> it's a fantasy. There's no fucking way I would be sitting somewhere in my poor little ass house with my poor ass admiring the Queen of England who has had my people colonized, who had my people pushed onto reservations. There's no fucking way. But that's just me because I know better. Maybe they don't know better. I mean, when you internalize what's happening to you, the bad things that's happening to you, it doesn't seem bad, does it? You learn to accept it because it's not going to change. Or you learn to accept it because you feel like you don't have agency to change anything. You don't have any influence, no privilege, no power. That's how you feel. You've been made to feel powerless. And so you just accept that this is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be and nothing's going to change. Nothing is going to happen. Look at the people of the Mau Mau uprising. They probably never thought that they would see justice. And I guess you could call what they received was some justice. But other justice would have been that bitch apologizing. It would have been other justice would have been Elizabeth apologizing to them, acknowledging what happened. A court, a court of law acknowledged what happened to them was awful and gave them money. It doesn't change that it happened. It doesn't change that it took decades, years to even figure out what happened because the kingdom engaged in a cover-up. An operation of cover-up. You can call it Operation Legacy if you want. It's an operation of CYA, cover your ass. Don't let anybody find out how awful we are. Every time you turn on the news, they're talking about, oh, now her casket has arrived in Scotland. Oh, now her family is there to greet mourners. Oh, now Charles is on TV. Oh, now. Oh, and it's just like they want you to be um, mournful and sor sorrowful. They want you to cry. They want you to be sad. They want you to not bring up the evil empire, the evilness of it, the ugliness of it. Oh, it's just not the right. Well, when is the right time? It's never the right time for people who have committed atrocities, who have perpetuated atrocities, who have done ill, gross, terrible things. It's never the right time to remind them of what they did that they didn't atone for, that they're not acknowledging. It's the same with um, critical race theory in the United States, right? It's being, quote unquote, banned. It's being banned from being taught in public schools in America, even though it never was. It never fucking was. But people don't want to hear how their ancestors were terrible and how the institution of American slavery contributed to the industries of today and how systems of factories and schools and et cetera, how racism is in the bricks of the institutions that we visit, that we call work. It's in the banking system. It's in the educational system. It's in the economic system. It's in the welfare system. People don't want to hear how slavery and segregation and Jim Crow and even the contributions of Black Americans during slavery and post-slavery contributed to the greatness of the United States of America. People don't want to hear about it. Well, what about, uh, what about this, this white guy who did this thing? He's pretty important, too. It's a competition, apparently. It's a competition. But the people who have um, a leg up in the race don't get to complain. You're already ahead of everyone. So these British mourners who are on TV and who are crying, who are in the interview, they're standing outside in the cold and the rain and they're crying. And I mean, go home.
Go home. Elizabeth and her family and the monarch, they don't do anything but waste your fucking time, spend your fucking money. They cost you all money. And there are people who are in crisis right now in the United Kingdom. I've seen the stories about um, the, the, co the heating costs, the gasoline prices. And here it is, your tax dollars being thrown out the window so people can ride around in fucking Land Rovers with their dogs so they can live in a castle so you can maintain some some uh fairy tale mystique so you can say we're not like anyone else but actually you are you're not the only one with the monarch you're not the only one with the monarch that's wasting people's fucking time and money hell we have presidents who've done that to us we have presidents who have spent millions of our tax dollars on golf trips golf weekends, millions on security, secret service, who wastes our fucking time. You're not the only ones with that problem, but I bet you what we don't do. We don't do that you all do. We don't pretend like it's not happening. We're not afraid to speak out. You all in the UK with your stiff upper lip, don't complain and just carry on. It's destroying you. Speak out. Let that lip quiver a little bit. Let these people know that they're fucking you over and you're tired of it. And I don't mean to insult anybody's culture, anybody's nation, anybody's anything. But you can't tell me that you look at what's happening, what has happened, and that you're comfortable with the people who are in power, that you're comfortable with this monarchy, that you don't feel that this monarchy should be abolished once and for all because it should be. Think about what happened on Bloody Sunday in Northern Ireland. Bloody Sunday occurred January 30th, 1972, during the Troubles. The Troubles, a 30-year national liberation struggle waged by the Irish Republican Army against Britain. Once again, people who just wanted to be free, people who wanted to be fucking free, have their land back, have their, own, have their autonomy, they're fighting against the British soldiers. And during a march in Derry, Northern Ireland, the British military opened fire on protesters, killing 14 people. There's also the seven years long war in Yemen, which began in 1962, which resulted in over 200,000 people being killed. So yeah, the queen was wealthy and, and, and seemingly stable and and a, a, a wonderful figurehead for the British Empire, for the kingdom. Her wealth, security, and privilege came from a violent history that perpetuated at least through the 1980s. And she sought to erase any record of government activities that might expose the true extent of the horrors of colonialism ushered by the British Empire. A lot of healing needed to happen in her lifetime, during her reign, and she ignored the calls. What good is it to stop a bleeding wound if you don't treat the infection that caused the wound? She had the opportunity to denounce all of these crimes, to denounce Britain's history of slavery, to pay reparations to the people hurt and lives destroyed by her and her ancestors' policies, to return the items they stole, and she did nothing. She did not acknowledge the monarchy's history of atrocities. She benefited wildly from the wealth procured during the slave trade and during colonial campaigns, especially in Africa and India. Perhaps she thought that stopping their campaigns of imposition, violence, control, colonization was enough to atone for their inhumane wrongs. But it was not enough. 
she should have abolished the monarchy. When she put the crown on her head and she wore that crown for 70 years, she carried those crimes. She donned fancy hats and commanded expensive ceremonies while ruling from a castle all on the government's dime. She covered up the crimes of her alleged pedophilic son. She interfered in her children's marriages to the point that exes became outcasts in their families, in their country, in the press. Her control, her privilege, her accepting of the crown was consent. If she did not authorize it, then it did not happen. She had to approve everything flowing from the monarchy. So why then did she not usher in reconciliation of the monarchy with its dreadful past? We may never know. But when you are a person of influence and power, of wealth and control, and you commit atrocities and you see them and you know they're happening and you're perpetuating them, even when you stop, when you are silent or ambivalent in their presence, then you are complicit in the crimes. Silence is complicity and Queen Elizabeth II is guilty. When you carry the crown, you carry the crimes. And this will be true until the end of the British monarchy. And this has been Ayana Explains It All, brought to you by Facts, Figures, and Enlightenment. Take care. <laughs>